The only way a dream is lucid is if your prefrontal cortex awakens and you're able to think things inside the dream that normally you're not able to. I think that honestly in 5-10 years we might have the key to lucid dreaming either through understanding how the sleeping brain processes stimuli or use some kind of stimulation to produce the brain activity required. The potential for self-help, self-healing, personal development, entertainment are really enormous. Welcome to the Sleep Junkies podcast. My name's Jeff Mann, and we cover the whole conversation on sleep. So today we're pushing the boundaries. We've got a three-way conversation going on, and I'm speaking to two guests about the topic of lucid dreaming. Now, lucid dreaming is a super interesting topic. And just for the uninitiated, lucid dreaming, in as few words as possible, is becoming aware, becoming lucid, whilst you're actually dreaming. Now, one of the reasons lucid dreaming is really interesting is to do with the fact that we've got historical accounts of lucid dreaming going back thousands and thousands and thousands of years. It's something that's been in human culture for pretty much for all of recorded history. But it wasn't up until very, very recently, the 1970s, that we came to a point using scientific methods that lucid dreaming is an actual scientifically observable phenomenon. And this is part of the reason why lucid dreaming is such an interesting topic. Because lucid dreaming over the years and the millennia has touched upon some of the biggest themes to do with the human experience, the nature of reality, consciousness, aspects of religion, philosophy. However, in the 21st century, we now have a rational, objective, scientific understanding of lucid dreaming. And it's become an extremely diverse, dynamic area of sleep science. So today we're going to talk to a couple of guests who are not only lucid dreamers themselves, they're also heavily involved in using the latest technology to study lucid dreams. And we're going to give a scientific based overview of lucid dream but also describe the practical ways for inducing lucid dreams as i said really super interesting topic today if you're liking the podcast go ahead subscribe on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, stitcher all of those other places that i can ever remember if you can leave us a review on apple Podcasts. we're super super passionate about sleep here we've got so many ideas for new topics and new discussions and these reviews, they help to support us at Sleep Junkies here and carry on what we're doing and bringing you more super interesting conversations like this one. Don't forget we're on social media as well, Sleep Junkies. We're all over Twitter, Instagram. And also if you want to meet like-minded people like yourself, head on over to our Facebook group, Sleep Junkies Worldwide. That's it for the introduction. Let's get on with the show. Okay, well, good evening and We've got a very special podcast today, and it's the first time we've got two guests on the line. One of our guests is a, a previous guest on the podcast, Curzio Vasopolo, Kurt for short. Hi, Kurt. Back with popular demand. Here I am. Absolutely. Absolutely. And also on the line, we've got Achilles Pavlou. Hello. Thanks for having me. So, 
we're going to put our faith in the gods of online podcast recording and trust that we can all have a three-way conversation here. And today we're talking about lucid dreaming. And specifically, we're going to talk about how to do lucid dreaming, a bit of a user's guide. And just for a very, very brief introduction, I'll introduce Kurt. So Kurt is the inventor of a sleep acquisition platform called ZMAX, which is a very clever piece of technology, hardware and software. And it's being used in different universities and institutions around the world for various sleep studies, including lucid dream research, which is where Achilles comes in because Achilles is actually using ZMAX for his PhD research at Essex University. Do you want to give us just a little elevator pitch, Kurt, for for ZMAX? Yes, absolutely. So ZMAX is a uh, platform for acquisition and analysis of sleep. One of the things that it does best is to enable real-time applications that are based on stimulation. Uh, of the sleeping person during sleep. It does this with a scripting system. So lucid dreaming uh, research is based on the delivery of stimuli while the person is sleeping. So whereas traditionally this was quite laborious and expensive, you would have uh, people staying up all night, uh, watching over a person who would be connected to uh, EEG equipment, and they would be watching his brain waves, and then at the appropriate time triggering some stimulus or running the experiment. Now this can be automated. And so instead of all that, you could just send someone home with a ZMAX device uh, with a script and the experiment would just run, including uh, giving the participant instructions as he's falling asleep, uh, delivering any kind of cues to prime him to, to incubate the lucid dream, which we might talk about later. And uh, yeah, I, I guess Achilles can tell you more about how he's actually using it in his research since, as you said, he's he's conducting uh, lucid dreaming research using ZMAX. Check out podcast number three, I think, um, and Kurt goes into, into great detail about the platform and what it can do. And it's not just lucid dreaming research. It's it's a very flexible tool. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about, about ZMAX later. Um, Achilles, can you just tell us very briefly your your journey into sleep and just describe your research at the moment so um i first stumbled on uh on lucid dreaming when i was like 16 and it was like a summer you know uh, in cyprus where i'm from like uh we've got a big break like a three month break which i think in the uk is much smaller summer break i just stumbled upon like lucid dreaming which is basically becoming aware while you're dreaming then sometimes also being able to take control over the dream, change, you know, the scenario, you know, volitional control over your dream. And I read techniques which were like cognitive techniques, so techniques that you would do before falling asleep or during the day that help incubate a lucid dream. And I just became fascinated with it. With it. And I tr- tried that summer, keep trying and trying and trying and failing and failing until at one point I started, you know, succeeding. I started having these lucid dreams. It was wonderful. But then school started again. And, you know, these techniques, these cognitive techniques, they require a lot of dedication. So I kind of stopped trying to um, induce lucid dreams through these cognitive techniques. And maybe I had a couple 
throughout the years, like like every year, maybe a couple of that would randomly happen. And then come uh, like starting in, in the UK, I'm studying psychology. And then the second year, I just have a flashback of this, you know, summer being 16 year old. Hmm. I wonder what the research is on lucid dreaming, because what I've read was just in like websites and not academic text. You know, I just popped in like lucid dreaming on Google Scholar and, and I was like, that's what I want to do. And I saw there was so much research on it, a lot of applications, a lot of different methods. I found it fascinating. And then I started researching it. Uh, I did my master's, like a project on it. Then PhD, I decided I want to fully go into this. And I'm now in my final year uh, researching uh, lucid dreams and specifically lucid dream induction methods and individual differences in lucid dream frequency. So you're specifically studying the induction methods, um, yes. which is kind of like the how-to and the, the, the practical stuff. Before we get into that, the practicalities, I just want to do a very brief definition of what lucid dreaming is there may be some people who are just listening to this podcast and they've heard of this term lucid dreaming but they're, they're not actually sure what it is so I'm wondering if either or both of you you know you're talking to your I don't know your great-grandmother who's never heard of this subject and you're, <laughs> we're trying to boil it down into the simplest terms uh, we all know what dreaming is but what is lucid dreaming well lucid dreaming is basically when you become aware that you're dreaming this is the difference with lucid dreaming is that you suddenly become aware that what you're seeing what you're experiencing is not real that it's a dream this can be something like where you have this passive awareness so you're just watching the dream unfold like you are fully aware that what you're watching is a dream can also have control over the dream. So you can perform actions in the dream that are volitional. You're making the actions and you're actively thinking about them, fully aware that you're dreaming. Okay, here's a question. I'm pretty sure I've had lucid dreams in the past, but are there any, any studies or any sort of general ideas of how many people are having lucid dreams? I want to talk a bit later about this idea of lucid dream as a, as a skill and something we can cultivate. But do we know roughly how common lucid dreaming is as opposed to regular dreaming? So there was uh, like a meta-analysis that, um, like a recent one, I think maybe two years ago, but it might be wrong. And uh, and uh, where it, they pulled all the studies about the frequency and prevalence of, of uh, lucid dreams. And what they saw is that at least around 50-something percent of people have had at least one lucid dream in their life. And that around 20% have it uh, like perhaps like once a month. I wonder how reliable these self-reports are. Because when I mention this to people, they're often extremely eas eager to say, oh, yes, I had one. Before I and even finish explaining what they are. And then it turns out they didn't actually know what they are. They thought they were something else. And a lot of people are also mixing it up with a lot of other stuff. That's not necessarily very scientific. Yeah, um, I would have to agree with that, that um, a lot of people, when you ask them about a lucid dream, and for them, they think that it, you mean perhaps like vivid dreams, or yeah. so they're not familiar with the Dreams are, are something that uh, just psychologically, I mean, I'm no expert at psychology or anything, but they seem to be highly suggestive of just generally people's 
a tendency to want to think about unusual things. So um, they're very eager to explore new ideas if they're connected to dreaming. And uh, it just seems that they're too eager to conclude, oh, yes, I had one. And yeah. uh, maybe it's just that they had a particularly meaningful dream. It, it mm -hmm. really takes some labor and trying to explain no you have to know in the dream that it's a dream and look around and like wow this is the dream this is not my real life and sometimes I, I i'm not even able to get to that level where they can where i see that they have actually understood it so to be absolutely clear a vivid dream is not a lucid dream a dream that you thought was particularly meaningful is not a lucid <laughs> prescient dream is not uh, it's not a lucid dream uh, the only way a dream is lucid is if your prefrontal corte cortex awakens and you're able to think things inside the dream that normally you're not able to. For example, I find myself in this room, but this is not where I live. Or mm -hmm. uh, I see this thing happening, but that's physically impossible. And especially when you say, okay, this is a dream. Wow, it looks very real. That's the sign when, when that's actually a lucid dream. Mm -hmm. And I agree with you with that, but yeah, um, that when you talk to people like casually, like uh, what is lucid dreaming, they might not know, but like uh, in the meta-analysis, they usually, they provide a formal definition. But again, you know, you never know with participants, even if you explain it sometimes. There's another person that people that are interested in this stuff tend to be also interested in a, in a bunch of um, related, not really related, but in their minds, perhaps they're related things that are not necessarily scientific. Mm -hmm. So, yes. oh yes, I had a lucid dream and also I had an out-of-body experience and also I did an mm -hmm. astral projection. So most lucid dream uh, researchers, when they hear this stuff, they go, okay, another one of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lucid dreaming, which is like, it's tied to a lot of, I don't know how you would call it. like yeah, new uh, age mumbo jumbo. New, yes, which is annoying to me because I'm uh, like a scientist and I, and I look at it, you know, very scientifically, look at the neurophysiological evidence for lucid dreaming. So, I mean, coming back to what you said about, you know, the difference between lucid dreaming and regular dreaming, like the difference, as you mentioned with the prefrontal cortex, is that in normal dreams, we lack critical thinking, we're more impulsive, more emotional, we don't have access to autobiographical memories, and all of that is because it's thought to be because uh, the frontal areas of the brain during normal dreaming they are largely deactivated. So what that means is the frontal area has to do with you know like um, higher cognitive abilities, and you could say that in normal dreams we're essentially brain damaged. We're like we're not a, you know we don't have critical thinking. But the thing with lucid dreams is that the frontal areas of the brain light up essentially like the brain activity resembles more that to that of waking. So the frontal areas of the brain become more activated, and suddenly we realize, wait a minute, what we're seeing is crazy. What I'm seeing in the dream right now is crazy. This is not real, and I was in bed just an hour ago. So most likely the function or one of the functions of dreams is to prepare you for hypothetical scenarios that could <laughs> happen in real life before they actually happen. Um, some uh, evidence for that could be the fact that you often see people in a different environment than they belong in. So for example, you could be in school and your mom is there, or you could be in a country where somebody else from another country is there. It seems that it's trying to mix and match people and sometimes put together people that don't know each other. 
from a mm-hmm. tribal dynamics, social dynamics point of view that would make sense uh, as you prepare and rehearse, anticipate the possibility of different people coming together to see if they would be antagonistic or friendly to each other. But yeah. whether that's true or not, um, it, I, I would say that, at least I believe that the reason why it, your prefrontal cortex is shut down is to make it believable. If it was switched on, then it wouldn't work as a rehearsal because you would be saying, what the hell is this? This is, does not making any sense. But if you do believe it, then, you know, it, uh, then you, you live it as if it were real and then perhaps you're prepared. I wouldn't say it's particularly effective, certainly in today's world, but we're, we're, we don't have very many theories for what dreams actually accomplish. So mm-hmm. that's, that's one possibility. So from that point of view, you could imagine that people have different, um, um, levels of suppression of their prefrontal cortex during dreams because of course we're all slightly different in all respects so perhaps for some people it's easier to have those uh dormant parts of their brain wake up when they're not supposed to for some it's harder and it's a mechanism that you can imagine in an ancestral environment people weren't really out trying to hack or even have the ability to verbalize it and to understand that it's there so there's not it's it's not meant to be a foolproof mechanism as long as it's working most of the time that would have been selected for and so we end up today with the ability to tweak it and if you do tweak it it's actually a very good entertainment system hmm. because then you can uh, have a perfectly simulated reality in your brain for free uh every night and so that's what a lot of people tr- get interested in it for it does, as you mentioned, it require a lot of discipline because what do you what do you do if you know like if I told you you're gonna have a mission like this weekend and the thing is you're drugged, so you cannot think, you're gonna be completely bummed out. You might think, okay, well, so what I'm gonna do is make some things automatic so that when I'm in that situation, I'll carry them out anyway, even if I'm drugged, right? So mm-hmm. that's essentially what you have to do in lucid dreaming. You have to practice so much that you do it automatically, even though you're not planning to do it and you're not that, that self-aware exactly. in that moment. That's why it requires the discipline because you need to practice so much that it becomes your second nature to question reality. Even though it might look perfectly real to you, uh, you still do dream checks, which perhaps we can explain later. But you do them anyway, you question reality, you always ask yourself, am I in a dream? And you can imagine that if you, if you have stuff to do every day and you're out working and having meetings and solving problems, it's a kind of burden to have to do all the time. Oh, am I dreaming? Am I dreaming? So you end up not doing it. And that's why it's hard. That's why you don't have millions of people doing this. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um- I just want to rewind slightly. I love this idea. We've got the prefrontal cortex and with this idea of critical thinking coming into lucid dreaming. Um, so but lucid dreaming, we've got a distinction, haven't we? Because I think some people think about lucid dreaming and we've got pop culture references, films like Inception, where, you know, very, very elaborate scenarios. Yeah, well, Inception has got as much to do with lucid dreaming as, as Terminator with AI. So those things are actually not helping out. Well, there you go. But people will know about films like that and that, you know, they will be informed by these pop culture references. The point I was trying to make is that Mm -hmm. lucid dreaming, you're definitely lucid, i.e. aware, but not necessarily 
in a state where you're able to influence or control your dreams, which might come through practice or better technique. Yeah, well, for people that have watched Inception, let's just begin by saying you can't die in a dream and you cannot have a dream inside another dream. I know it's going to disappoint a lot of people, but <laughs> they just made it up to make it interesting. Um, the ability to influence the dream content sort of comes automatically when you realize that it's a dream. Um, in my experiments, what I found out is that um, the only reason that works is because by default, you expect things to be able to change when you're in a dream. That might not even be the case for absolutely everybody. Um, but essentially, it's not that you gain any particular power when you're inside the dream. It's simply you don't have input from the outside. So because you don't have the input from the outside, any stimulus that the brain gets is amplified and becomes reality. There's this, the only reason the brain is able to create this, uh, we call the Cartesian theater, where you have a story that's making sense and you can identify objects. So it's actually actively trying, it's doing 99% of the work is the brain is creating that scene with some input from the outside. So then when you don't have input from the outside, if you have even just the thought of something, then it becomes what you see. This is why in nightmares, everything could be going just perfectly. And then when you, uh, you hear somebody behind you and then you think, oh my God, it might be a killer. Now he's a killer. And then you see he might be following me. Now he's following you. Oh my God, he's going to catch me. Now he catches. So everything that you expect to happen becomes real. Now, if, if you realize it's a dream for most people, they would expect that because it's not real, it's just in my head, I can control it. And that's why normally it works that way. If by any chance you're not expecting that things will work the way you want, then it will not happen. So it's tricky because how do you train yourself to expect something, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, just touching on that subject, there's an impression that most lucid dreams are not those scary nightmare scenarios. It's more common for them to be pleasurable or whatever, um, mysterious, but not necessarily the dark kind of themes we have in nightmares. Is that fair to say about lucid dreams in general? I would say so. I mean, generally, the, the scary part of a nightmare is that you're not in control. So just by having control over something, and even, even if there's something scary, you can make it disappear. Or if it's like a monster or something, you can reason with it. That's why it also there are many psychotherapeutical applications in lucid dreaming. But I suspect there's something more than that. Because when you enter the lucid dreaming state, you have uh, a sudden sense of euphoria, which might be neurochemical. And that's part of the reason why it's so hard to stay then within the lucid dream. Because you get excited and you're really, really happy that it's happening. Uh, so I actually don't know the neurochemistry. I don't know if Achilles can jump in. Uh, but uh, I think that's for sure going to prevent uh, the dream heading in a negative direction just because you're like so happy when you get into it. You know, lucid dreaming is, is actually thought to improve PTSD, so post-traumatic stress syndrome symptoms, because, you know, PTSD people, you know, they usually have recurrent nightmares. So actually lucid dreaming here is thought to, you know, help because if you realize that it's a nightmare, then you can change it uh, into something positive or you can make yourself wake up or whatever. And actually some preliminary evidence shows that it's beneficial. Uh, a lucid dreaming therapy, as they call it, you know, uh, 
is giving good results and things like recurrent nightmares. Now, a lot of times they, they also use word association to try to figure out what the heck might be going on in your subconscious. So a dream, if you can, if you can be conscious enough to observe the effects of what you're doing, is like that on steroids. Because things literally appear out of nowhere based on implicit, implicit connections that you have stored in your subconscious. So, for example, the exercise of interrupting a nightmare. It's actually a very good thing to become lucid during a nightmare. Because then you can try to converse with the dream symbols and ask them questions like, what do you represent? And they might actually tell you what they represent. That might actually give you the, the answer. Because you're now dealing with a, with a state in which you have enough awareness to figure out what's going on, ask the right question. But also your subconscious is completely unblocked because it can manifest itself in the, in the dream scenery. So, yeah, if we could uh, achieve it more reliably, it would, it would help from, from a bunch of different uh, perspectives. Yeah, and, uh, there are also applications in sports. It turns out that your brain actually absorbs enough information about inertial forces involved in, in sporting activities and movements and, and how the muscle respond, responds, that you're able to practice uh, physical tasks within a dream and the level of accuracy is sufficient that you can get better at stuff, even just doing it inside the dream. So there are some people that do research in, in sports uh, that are also trying to use lucid dreaming to, 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 to increase performance. Yeah, let's talk a bit about the research. Now, we did a little podcast about history of dream research. Lucid dreaming goes back to... Aristotle, mm -hmm. <laughs> Greeks, and before that, way, way back, thousands and thousands of years. That's a whole different conversation. Um, but in case anyone's listening, I think lucid dreaming and, you know, we, we mentioned earlier that, that some people having dismissive uh, remarks about this new age and whatever. There is a very rich modern scientific history in lucid dreaming. And Achilles, I wonder if you can just give us a, a pricey because there's two sort of landmark researchers, uh, Stephen LeBerge in the States and um, uh, Dr. Hearn over here in the UK. It was about the same time, wasn't it? In the 1970s, they kind of came up with um, the first sort of modern scientific conception of lucid dreaming. I, I guess I guess you could say where modern scientific research into lucid dreaming started. So yes, Labert is one of the like, prominent like lucid dream researchers. He was um, one of the first really to um, like research it, you know, using scientific methods. Well, one of the techniques that he developed other than the cognitive techniques he developed he also developed this method for validating the existence of lucid dreams so one of the was this eye movement pattern so for example looking left left right right and agreeing on this eye movement pattern with a lucid dreamer prior to them falling asleep and then being able to use this kind of eye movements to signify that they've become lucid back to the researcher because um, for example if you put electrodes close to the eyes then you can actually see where your eyes are moving and you know because in REM sleep so rapid eye movement sleep yeah, where we have vivid dreams our eyes actually move about even though our body is paralyzed our eyes still keep moving and they move wherever we're looking in the dream so just to explain that a little bit more, Laberge, he, he became a lucid dreamer himself. And, mm -hmm. and a lot of these experiments were basically him in the sleep lab, hooked up to electrodes. And there were prearranged signals, as you said. 
he actually proved that he had volition and he had control um, whilst he was in the, a physiological state of, of REM sleep. Yes, exactly. And, you know, since then, they, they've also uh, validated it, not with EEG, showing differences in brain activity, the frontal area activation that we talked about. Also, they've shown it with electromyogram. So they had uh, lucid dreamers, for example, clench their fists in the dream. And obviously, we're paralyzed when, when we're dreaming. So we don't act out our dreams, but using electromyograms on the wrists, still able to get a little bit of a twitch of the muscles. So they were able to, again, show that, you know, the person is clearly in sleep, but you could see these muscle twitches that corresponded to like the participant being dreaming and being lucid and, and clenching their fists. So these prearranged signals, they observed the activity on the EEG, or I think there's been some fMRI studies as well. And fMRI as well, yeah. And they could see what these signals would look like on the fMRI or the EEG if someone clenched their fist. And then when they were in the dream state, these same signals were replicated. And this was given as the proof that lucid dreaming is actually a thing. Kurt, have you got anything to add to sort of how that how that? Yeah, worked? well, I mean, initially uh, in the in the was it the 80s? Some people didn't even believe this was real, right? Because there's a lot of overlap with uh, mysticism. So he was able to show that actually, actually, it's a thing, and somebody's conscious enough that they can replicate some predetermined pattern. Uh, they they did experiments in which people use Morse code to mm-hmm. communicate their initials out of the dream state, and uh, that's it. From there, this became an accepted. Uh, actual thing to that the people could study like with a scientific basis and nowadays it's very very popular uh, there's still people that overlap it with mysticism but uh, like if you're using zmax you can recreate all of these experiments that before they you could only do in a sleep lab and so for instance you can uh, decide before you go to sleep okay if i find myself within a lucid dream I'm going to make this pattern with my eyes, my eye movements, let's say left, right, left, right. And then once you're in the dream, you do it. And in the morning, you can open that file and view that you actually did it so that you know, you can, you can show whether you just thought you did or you actually did. That's, that's worth a lot. And uh, now it's become really, really easy to do experiments with uh, lucid dreaming. The key, what we're trying to figure out, I think a lot of researchers, is how to induce them reliably and to make them more stable. Because we have two problems. First of all, it's tough to get into that state, except for very rare people. And second, once you get into that state, you get excited, and so you jump out of it. Even if that doesn't happen, the dream tends to fade to black, dematerialize after a while, which is a bummer, because normally you go back to being to being not so self-aware. So now we have a tool that is a lot more um, user-friendly than, than the lab equipment, but on the other side, it's also uh, a serious scientific tool, unlike a lot of gadgets and masks that have come out over the years. And there's no problem with the comfort or with the, uh, with the signal accuracy or with the stimulation accuracy. So ZMAX it can be programmed with a script to intervene 
the moment that it sees that you're in a REM state, which is where lucid dream uh, lucid dreaming happens. And so you can uh, set it before you go to sleep to play back a sound to see if that sound affects the content of the dream. You could set it to give you a small vibration so that when you're inside the dream, if, if anything strange happens that includes vibrations, could be translated to, to an earthquake or something. But then you would say, okay, maybe this is my signal that I'm in a dream. So there's, there's several applications of technology and, and the ability to replicate and to stay within lucid dreams. So this very early research was you know, 40 years ago. And up until then, people had to go into a sleep lab. Very expensive, very inconvenient. You can't do big studies. And it's taken up until this time you have zmax where people are able to do this outside of the sleep lab um but we've established lucid dreaming is a thing it's recognizable scientific phenomenon we can measure it we can explore it in lots of different ways just before we get on to the how-tos i just want to ask both of you briefly um the different uses for lucid dreaming kurt you described it as a an entertainment system <laughs> you're in your own virtual world that you can explore and go wherever you want but there's there's also achilles you mentioned ptsd you know so therapeutic processes there's also people using lucid dreaming for learning and rehearsing and and motor skills you mentioned as well kurt and creativity so there's loads and loads of different areas here it's not really a question achilles but can you summarize that in a better way than i can and maybe there's some i missed out as well uh, for example, the, uh, it, it can improve motor skills. So in uh, sports science, uh, there's this technique called imagined rehearsal. So Formula One drivers use it, uh, basketball players, all kinds of like uh, sports players use it. For example, if you're a Formula One driver, just by imagining going through the whole track, every turn, every corner, everything, mentally rehearsing going through the whole track, that it will improve your performance when you actually do it. And the reason is because if you imagine something, you're activating the same parts of the brain as if you're actually doing them. And this is a very established sports science technique. There were multiple research on this. And you actually even, if you imagine running a track, you actually start losing a bit more calories. So, you know, just imagining running causes this. So you can imagine that with lucid dreaming, it's a more powerful sensory imitation of waking life because you're actually seeing everything in crystal clear quality. You can practice, you know, whatever sport you're doing. If you're imagining it the same as if you're dreaming it, you're activating parts of the brain as if you're actually doing those movements. Not just research on this rehearsal part. There's not just for like your typical sports science studies, but also lucid dream studies have been done. Lucid dreamers have practiced a motor skill and they've demonstrated that they've increased their performance when they do the task in uh, waking. What sort of tasks are we, are we talking about? So one of the tasks, I think, is um, dart throwing. It's, like, again, one of these things that are um, very beneficial when you're doing, you know, like in this imagined rehearsal. So before you're throwing the dart, visualizing in the trajectory and how it's going to be, that actually improves a lot your performance. That's interesting. I saw um, something on Tim Ferriss' blog, and he was talking about using Lucid Dream to um, improve, I forget the name, Japanese horseback archery <laughs> and he linked to a little video i'm not sure if, if he was doing it himself that's that's quite a niche 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very niche. But it wouldn't surprise me if that's the kind of thing Tim Ferriss was, you know, did in his spare time. I suppose that, that's the scaled up version of dart throwing. What about the the therapeutic potential benefits of, of lucid dreaming? So, yeah, like we said, with uh, PTSD, um, and people have recurrent nightmares, usually, you know, related to what caused the trauma. So whether, you know, like uh, the PTSD can be, you know, you can have get PTSD from very various ways. It can be like a victim of war, rape, or whatever. Like a basically a traumatic traumatic event. And then one of the symptoms of, of, of PTSD is this recurrent nightmare uh, thing, where you're having horrible nightmares, waking up sweating, and then also that because of the fear of having these recurrent nightmares. PTSD sufferers, they are too scared, let's say, to go to sleep and they stay awake. That's causing insomnia. And there's preliminary research that's showing that, you know, improvements in uh, recurrent nightmares by having PTSD sufferers trained in lucid dream induction techniques and then, you know, uh, taking control of their nightmares. Kurt, have you come across any of this through ZMAX or any researchers that are in this area of um, therapy, let's say? No, not personally. Sometimes I read about it, but it seems to me that all the benefit there is for the individual to to take out of this. So regardless of how much interesting research might happen, just the fact that you can dive into your subconscious and interpret the meaning of, of symbols, you don't really need to have PTSD to benefit from that. It It seems that any anyone should be interested in that mm-hmm. you, even if you you don't have any bad stuff that you want to fix so to speak like who knows it's, it's positive psychology nowadays right yeah. it's not just yeah. uh trying to fix people that have serious uh psychological problems but how can you be happier and, and uh, there's a lot of psychology also that uh has been focused around what is what is the actual growth process because it doesn't it doesn't finish when you get out of school. It's supposed to be an ongoing process. It seems to me that trying to get different modes of consciousness and different levels of your brain to intercommunicate uh, would be the uh, the main or one of the main hacks in in self development. So highly recommended, guys. Yeah. Okay. Well. I saw a review which kind of broke it down into these induction techniques, so inducing a lucid dream. And I I thought it was helpful. Maybe we can frame it in this way. So we've got these cognitive techniques. Uh, We've talked about ways of inducing dreams with something like ZMAX with an external stimulus. And also what we haven't talked about is drugs, supplements, which can help induce lucid dreams. I'll throw it wide open. One other thing I'd say is this idea that we talked about of habituating yourself to the dreaming experience in general, and this idea of practicing and lucid dreaming as a skill that you acquire rather than a switch that you turn on and off. I'll just throw it open like that. And because Achilles, this, this is very much your area of exploring these, these induction techniques. Anyone want to start off? Yeah. Um, so you can roughly like divide the lucid dream induction techniques into cognitive, external stimuli, and pharmacological drug solutions. And so, for example, cognitive techniques, some of them are the mnemonic induction of lucid dreams or mild, uh, the wake back to bed methods, reality test, testing. And so just to just touch upon each of these techniques, 
the mild technique basically entails like uh, rehearsing a dream prior to falling asleep and then visualize becoming lucid while focusing on the intention to remember that you're dreaming. So before explaining this technique, there's also the wake back to bed technique, which is usually combined with the mild technique. The wake back to bed technique is you set up your alarm two to three hours before your normal waking time. And then you stay awake for like at least 10 minutes and then you fall back to sleep. And that is thought to help, help induce dreams because you're going back to sleep with a more activated brain because activation happens because of the brief awakening. So you're, you go to sleep basic essentially with your frontal part of the brain more activated, which like we discussed, it, it, it helps with uh, becoming lucid. Just to interrupt briefly, and the idea of the end of the night or two hours before is because the proportion of our REM sleep increases. Yes. And this is where, is this awesome. is where you want to be, this sweet spot in just before you wake up. Or... Well, it's also possible that you can imagine that within the process of sleeping, the different parts of the brain get handled with differential priorities. For example, you can imagine that in an ancestral environment, the fast acting stuff like your limbic system, emotional regulation and in instinctive things that you might do to react to threats would be more important to have well-rested and, and very easily deployable, whereas higher cognitive faculties would be less important. So perhaps they're staggered or one is lagging behind the other one and how they get handled um, throughout sleep. It's possible that there's some difference by which, for example, at the end of the night, you, still, you can still go on carrying out uh, physical recovery of all your biochemistry, but perhaps your frontal lobe is already taken care of. And therefore now it's without all of that maintenance and repair stuff going on, it's more likely to be able to, to become alert. Uh, I think that might be one, one conceivable right. explanation why you, you tend to have more lucid dreams in the morning. Sorry, Achilles, I interrupted your flow there. So, um, yeah, with the, um, Wake back to bed method is then combined with the mild technique. So basically, you wake, let's say you have to wake up at eight. Um, you wake up at, you know, six or five. And then what you do is after you basically stay awake for like about 10 minutes, then you start rehearsing a dream, perhaps the, the dream you just were awoken from. And then you visualize yourself becoming lucid. So you go back to the points of the dream where it should have made you realize that you're dreaming and could call them dream signs. You know, perhaps there was a person that is not alive anymore in your life and he's there. So that should have made you realize. So you visualize yourself going all through all these incongruences, let's call them, and visualize yourself becoming lucid. And then through this visual practice, mental practice, you also repeat in your head the intention to remember that you're dreaming so you would repeat oh next time i'm i'm dreaming i'm gonna remember i want to remember that i'm dreaming or i will remember that i'm dreaming so it's kind of like a mantra let's call it um so there's this idea of a wakeful practice just getting into the the, the practice of remembering a dream state maybe writing them down so you just become more aware in general of the dream state well, that's one of the first things as you start this um, process of exploration that you find out is you didn't realize just how many dreams you had. 
because most of them are forgotten. So many, many people, I would say a great majority of people, they don't think that they dream every night or they don't think they have that many dreams every night. Uh, it's, it's quite uncanny to realize that you just had that experience and you're going to completely forget it. It's a type of amnesia that most yeah. people never experience. Well, we remember them when we wake up. Very few of them. The, the vast majority won't remember, especially the ones that occurred uh, in the beginning of the night. And so when you gain this discipline of writing down your dreams, the moment you wake up, all of a sudden you look back after a week and you've got dozens of dreams and you didn't realize. But yeah, that's been going on your entire life. You just didn't remember 99% of them. So you can start, as Achilles was saying, to recognize what are the recurrent patterns in your dreams uh you might not have any they might always be different but in some cases you'll have some recurrent things for example if you often happen to find yourself in a restroom when you need to actually go to the restroom in the middle of the night so then you can train yourself to say okay if i ever am in a restroom that looks unfamiliar remember to check if it's a dream or not that's some of the stuff that you can do yeah, and touching upon what Kurt said, basically he kind of introduced the concept of reality testing. So, so there's this technique where it's basically a set of different actions that if you dream about them and do those actions, they will produce a different outcome than if you did them in, in waking. So the, the couple of things, the couple of techniques that within this reality testing is... Um, like pinching your nose and trying to breathe through it. Obviously, if you do that in waking, you won't be able to because you, you feel the air being blocked because you're actually, you know, you're pinching your nose. Do that a couple of times during the day, then you increase your chance of dreaming about doing this action. And if in your dream, you pinch your nose and try to breathe through it, and then that can make you realize that you're, that you're dreaming. So it's one of the, one of the techniques. Yeah, reality testing. I used to keep a, a dream journal a couple of years ago. I only kept it up for a, a month or so, but it's extremely interesting going and <laughs> revisiting. Uh, you know, I look back on some of those episodes, I'm like, WTF, what was all that yeah. about? Yeah. Uh, it turns out you, you have a lot of experiences you, you never remember about, but if you think about it, they help to shape your personality, all of that implicit, uh, I should say, emotional memory that stays with you. So. All right. So... The, these cognitive techniques takes a lot of discipline, takes practice, but we've got other ways of doing it. So Achilles, you're using this idea of an external stimulus for an induction technique. Can you explain broadly the research that you're doing and what you're hoping to discover through that? So one of the other techniques for inducing lucid dreams is through the use of external stimuli. So that can be like audio vibrations or other tactile stimuli, flashes to the eyes. And basically, if you present the stimuli during sleep and while we're dreaming, these stimuli have the tendency to get incorporated into the dream content. So therefore, they can alert us that we're dreaming. So they can cue the dreamer that they're dreaming. So if you suddenly feel, for example, a vibration on your forehead, which is one of the stimuli that ZMAX can do, they can make you realize that you're dreaming. Perhaps all of us have experience, you know, a lot of us have experience at one point of our life, you're dreaming something and maybe someone's talking to you in, you know, in waking, or maybe your alarm is going off, maybe something's playing on the TV while you're falling asleep or whatever, and, you know, that stimulus becomes incorporated. So I've been using ZMAX for my studies, and it actually helped me a lot with the data collection because 
traditionally, if you were to do research on external stimuli for lucid dreaming, you'd have to stay awake the whole night, monitoring the participant in real time, you know, looking at the go, you know, the EEG signal and then determining, okay, this person is in REM sleep, then manually starting the stimulation, whether that's flashes or audio or vibration. But now with, with ZMAX, I can just program it and it does it automatically, it requires basically almost no input for me, really. So the stimulus, just to clarify, this has to happen during REM sleep, um, yes. which is w- whether it's a dog barking outside or you know some noise on the TV, it will become incorporated in your dream when you're in Mm -hmm. dream sleep obviously so there has to be a precise timing there yeah the research i'm doing uh when you present stimuli during dreams they're not always incorporated what i'm trying to uh, research is what are the best stimuli properties for lucid dream induction so what is the best stimulus that we can send out while someone is dreaming to get it incorporated how much intensity does it require for example People have different awakening thresholds. So, you know, if I play a sound at 60% intensity, you know, X amount of decibels, someone might wake up from it. But for someone, maybe the stimulus is so low that it doesn't become incorporated. It doesn't, you know, create that necessary brain activation for the stimulus to go through the dream and for the, you know, the person to hear it. That sounds tricky with human variability i I know Mm -hmm. i'm i'm a light sleeper and i only need a small amount of noise to kind of wake me up um so for example i gradually increase the stimulus until it hits their threshold and then what i do is i calibrate the stimulus to be slightly lower than the one that woke them up and then what i do is that i I then make even smaller increments until i reach their threshold again so this is kind of like the basic gist of it but like i said it's not just the stimulus that is important it's also the brain state what i'm interested in seeing why for someone the stimulus incorporated and why for someone it didn't and then compare their brain activity and see was there a specific brain frequency, what what was different in their brain activity. And if we can figure that one out, then perhaps we could modulate this brain activity. So we could perhaps play some specific sounds or do some different stimulation that will create the necessary brain activity so that it will make their brain receptive to external stimuli. And are there any indications of different stimuli being more effective than others. Uh, maybe Kurt can come in on this. Is there any evidence to say that light or audio or vibration, um, there are different effects? Or again, is it down to individuality? And Yeah, I think there's a lot of individuality. There was a study where splashing people in the face with water worked best than anything. <laughs> right. But the ZMAX doesn't do that yet. Perhaps next version. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, yeah, I just threw everything that, that I can add in there to let other people figure it out. Perhaps Achilles can answer that better. What, what sort of stuff is, seems to be working best? So, um, I'm still analyzing the data, but both vibration and, uh, audio seem to be doing well. Um, isn't um, audio like really hard to get incorporated? Yeah, there's, there's some previous research that showed that tactile stimuli have a higher tendency to become incorporated. The issue I have with tactile stimuli is that if the stimulus vibrates or, you know, you touch someone's hand or whatever, basically the brain 
is really good at confabulating reason as to why you felt uh, something on your hand. Right, but then that's why you have to train yourself to to pay attention to that and, and do the dream check. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the usefulness in, in getting all of this stuff automated is that you can then test a whole lot of different protocols. For example, uh, one day I had the idea, hey, why don't we wait until the person is, is actually turning around to give a stimulus? Because the problem with auditory stimuli, uh, voices, you know, sounds, is that the brain is actually really good at screening those off because if it didn't, then you, you wouldn't sleep very well. So it's actually really important to screen off outside background noise when you're dreaming. So it does it really well. So all my experiments with just playing back audio files, which is like the most easy thing you can imagine, right? I'm going to go to sleep and then I'll have some voices tell me things and see if it... Well, nothing, nothing changed for me, nothing changed for others as well. But then I had the idea, what if you wait and instead of doing it while the person is actually sleeping, find that five or 10 second intervals, which happen all the time. They happen dozens of times throughout the night when the person is moving around, that is changing their position. During those times, they're moving, right? So they're not technically asleep. They just have the ability to go right back to sleep very quickly, very easily. So why not wait for those movements and then deliver the audio? Uh, before they fall back asleep. So I put that together in a, a script in less than half an hour, and I released it. Because there's an accelerometer. Right, right, right. There's an accelerometer as well, so you can see when you're moving. So it waits until you move, and then uh, and then it plays back the audio file. It's all based on JavaScript. So anybody with that idea could have put it together and tested it. Now, I don't know if Achilles have, has tested that or not. No, no, I haven't curious tested this. this. Yeah, no, I haven't so, tested this. So we have so much stuff to test that um, <laughs> even with these tools that we have nowadays, it's still, you know, we need more participants. We need more funding. Generally tough as well to get funding for dream research. Yeah. So the more people that we have, even like on a consumer level or enthusiasts that are running experiments, that I think can help a lot. So there's definitely the potential for, you know, the citizen scientist kind of idea in this field. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I don't want to come across like a, you know, we're doing a sale, sales pitch for ZMAX here, but we're talking about it because you invented it and Achilles, you're using it in your research. <laughs> yeah. um, the reason I mention that is that there have been these types of devices for a long time and, and there have been several bits of consumer technology which have come along in the last five or ten years or so. But there's been quite a few of these gadgets along the way. Um, I know you mentioned on your on the last podcast, Kurt, that you, you've tried some of these and I don't know if Achilles can chime in as well to see if he's had any experience with the consumer gadgets because Emacs is, is, is very much a research tool. Well, the thing is that that's sort of the minimum level at which you have to enter to act for it to actually work, right? I guess what I'm trying to get at is, let's say someone's on a real budget, but they wanted to try out this idea of, of using an external stimulus. I mean, I guess the major barrier here is you need to accurately detect what stage of sleep you're in. Yeah, it, it has to be accurate because if it stimulates you when you're not in REM sleep, then, then it's not very useful. But yeah, just going back to that... Can can you talk about some of these early early generation gadgets that um, people try to use? Yeah, well, there was the Nova Dreamer, which was the initial device that I tried when I was seventeen. That's how I learned about uh, lucid dreaming. And uh, Nova Dreamer was uh, actually I got some lucid dreams out of that. It was based on uh, there's a lot of these gadgets are not based on EEG; they're based on infrared. Um, they right. can they can see that your eye is, is moving under the eyelid. 
with an right. infrared sensor. It's easy to put together. It's, it's uh, electronics. They're simple. Um, the problem is that it needs to be a mask. Uh, you have to put something on your face because it's got to sit on top of your eyes. So to me, that felt uh, uncomfortable simply because any small movement you make with your facial muscles or turning around makes the thing slide. There's other things that came out that are basically the same. I think one is called the REM Dreamer. And there's stuff out there that's only based on a timer, which I actually appreciate more than stuff that's claiming to use EEG, but then, then, it, then it's not really detecting the phases. The timer can work, depends uh, how much problem you have with stimulation during non-dream phases. That would be the Remy, I think that was the name. Yeah, there's a Kickstarter mm -hmm. thing. I think, the, the, the reason why a lot of these things are not so good is that to, to get something that has the right technology in and it's sort of producing a signal is one level of investment. To get it to actually recognize sleep stages for a large number of subjects in real time reliably, like you would need if you're actually running experiments, that's like a thousand times more difficult. Achilles, have you come across any of these other, other devices out there? So I've tried the Lucid Catcher. It was a Kickstarter campaign. It was based on the study by Ross et al. in 2014, where they used transcranial alternate current stimulation, so like a low current electrical current stimulation of the frontal temporal areas of the brain. So it was basically a mask. In, in the research, they use uh, medical-grade electrical stimulators, which, you know, they produce a little, like, up to 2 milliampere electricity with a specific frequency, so let's say 40 hertz, in order to entrain brain activity, so entrain the brain waves. So I've used this, you know, this a prototype version of, of lucid culture. Is it the one with the dry electrodes? Yeah. So, you know, the amount of current that goes through your cranium is very, very sensitive to the size of the electrode and the impedance. Mm -hmm. With these dry electrodes that look like they might be, I don't know, a centimeter, maximum a centimeter and a half in diameter. Yeah. Uh, if, if it was really giving the right amount of, of, uh, of voltage to, to pass the, that number of million peers to the cranium, it would probably wake you up because it's so small. Yeah, so there's a lot of criticism with uh, this research that use uh, electrical stimulation. No one has been able to replicate it. I've tried replicating it. It uh, doesn't work. Other research teams have tried. And that was my experience as well. I tried it. And to be honest, I tried it the first time and I had a lucid dream, but it was totally due to placebo, I would say. So, yeah, with the lucid culture, it was a no. Then uh, it got... I started speaking, so I got this ad on Facebook about this uh, device. Uh, it was like a sleep wearable. It was this company, uh, IntelliClinic, that made this mask called Neuron. Uh, I was like, oh, perfect. You know, a device can detect REM sleep, present stimuli to make you realize you're dreaming. And I contacted them, and then they we started speaking. They said, we'd like to hire you, basically, to develop the lucid dreaming functions of the device. They seem to disappear now. Yes, because <laughs> they are basically went bankrupt. So, just give you the story of what happened. They actually pay for my flight. I go and meet them, you know, in Poland, in Warsaw. They go to their offices. They show me the device. And we start talking. And basically, they hire me as a consultant. So I'm there spending, you know, all my hours, you know, trying to develop the whole lucid dreaming platform of the 
device. And then after one month, they said, no, no, we'll pay. You know, they were just giving some weird excuses. I contact one of the uh, investors and they tell me they're going bankrupt and they're in court and they lost my money that I've lost like more than a million on them. And who are ah, the, the investor, okay. the investor, one of the investors. The problem is when you deal with wearables, you also deal with people in the field who are very, very technically minded. They're researchers or engineers, and they really don't like that kind of BS. You can fool the investors. But then what ends up happening is that you, you accumulate like a swarm of people that are pissed at you. They're following you from behind. I know other people. They're like sworn enemies of these neuron guys. So it's quite funny because the thing that makes you get the funding from the investors is the same thing that creates like a swarm of haters in the scientific community. Well, I know we're we're bitching a little bit, here, <laughs> but yeah. but I think it's useful because you know this is the kind of the space that we're involved in here, and we we do test and we review a lot of these things. And I had very very similar experiences with Neuron, and the thing stopped working basically after about two weeks. And I and I I tried to get in touch with them and said you know what's going on, and radio silence, nothing at all. So if you go to our website now where it says neuron review there will be a big you'll see what we what we think of them but it's a cautionary tale and i i think it's useful for listeners because if someone's into lucid dreaming you see all these things popping up on kickstarter and indiegogo and you think right that looks amazing i'm gonna spend 200 300 bucks on that <laughs> a lot of caution you know i think that's the message here the skill set to put together some electronics and make a colorful app is completely different from the skill set of looking at brain data from a variety of people and understanding the subtleties and the nuances of how one brain is different from the next. So it's, uh, it's unavoidable, you know, that it comes to this. But they're good at doing the marketing. I probably should learn something about that myself. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. I'm wary of your time, guys. Just before we wrap up, I just want to briefly describe this sort of pharmacological approach. Specifically, there's been this supplement galantamine. I bought a, I bought a, a, a big, just came out, so it was quite expensive, but it's a big bottle of galantamine. And then I was staying at somebody's house and their dog ate it all. So I hope it had a lot of lucid dreams. <laughs> yeah, you know the oh, story no. of the dog ate my homework? That dog <laughs> literally ate my galantamine. I was so pissed. Jeez. Oh, my oh, God. Um, but, but this one's had, there's been some research and, and, and also there's been some work where people mixing cognitive induction techniques with you know with some of these supplements and, and some of these external stimuli you can mix and match these kind of things uh, any experiences or tales of the, these supplements yeah i don't have any because the dog ate it <laughs> that's, that's frankly it sounds strange but it's the truth how about you um i haven't no i've never tried this uh, pharmacological solutions but yeah um, 2018 study showing that you know there's an increase in likelihood of having a lucid dream if you take galantamine or at least if anything it, it creates very vivid dreams but i haven't personally used any of these uh like if if it worked well, it would be revolutionary. Everything would change. Like you would see people in the street saying, "Oh my god, I had a lucid dream!" Right? But mm -hmm. that is not. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's that simple. No, no, I and I fully agree with that. Um, you know, a lot of people you can see in forums as well. You know, they're taking you know this galantamide, and yeah, it helps. But and there's so much uh, there's so much placebo effect, right? Mm -hmm. And there's people saying, like, have you used the galantamine for astral projection? It seems like it's working very well for that as well. So I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> maybe, maybe they're not the most reliable reports. Maybe we should do study. 
Okay. Um, right. Well, I hope we've given people an overview here that there are different ways into this this lucid dreaming thing. In closing, where do we think this research is going to go? Because it seems a really, really exciting, dynamic, um, so much potential there for different areas of research or just using lucid dreaming as a <laughs> your entertainment channel. 10 years time, 20 years time, where, where's, where's all this stuff going to be? I think we're going to start getting some really smart drugs maybe 10 years from now. What I mean by smart drugs is things that you take that actually have a very powerful effect on the way that your body and your brain functions, because they're not simply based on some chemistry discovered by accident, but either it's the AI figuring things out, or you, you create molecules that are quite complex and they can carry out complex tasks. Um, but the idea is to completely unlock this uh, potential of lucid dreaming and generally the potential of making your subconscious um, flood out into your into your actual waking consciousness so the applications we already stated what those are but potentially could have enormous one once this is something that people can just take a pill and do every night uh the potential for self-help self-healing personal development entertainment they're they're really enormous um, I think with other smart drugs, we'll be able to erode those barriers that are preventing outside stimuli from entering the dream. And so with a, possibly with a combination, you will have a reliable way to induce lucid dreaming. And at the same time, you'll be able to program the content of your dreams because you will, you will not have those screened out by, by your brain. Um, there's research going on right now about imaging the content of dreams. Uh, carried out by I know one lab in Japan, but it's it's being replicated by several labs where they basically have you watch thousands of hours of videos and then they build a map of which neurons firing correspond to what kind of uh, patches of color on the screen, and that's going to become more and more high fidelity as time goes on, and we get better and better ways of measuring brain activity non-invasively. Uh, we'll have the equivalent equivalent of fMRIs without the big machines and without the need for for any any uh, contrast uh, agents or anything like that. So essentially, we're going to be able to influence the content of dreams, image dreams, and we'll just tear down completely the barrier between your subconscious and your conscious mind. That's where I see this going. If governments don't block it, because the the potential for undoing a lot of government indoctrination and just this uh, cultural inertia. It's really powerful. You can imagine it would have effects that are more powerful than 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 LSD or anything like that. Uh, it's going to be really hard to culturally program people and to, you know, enslave them in consumeristic, uh, mindless, robotic patterns as as things are now. Once they're able to explore their consciousness, and you know, it, at night they're flying in different dimensions and and going back in history and, and meeting their subconscious, they're not going to wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I want to drop 300 bucks on plastic shoes. It's going to be really tough to keep that up. So possibly good things. Love it. I love it. I mean, that's a whole separate conversation. I'd love to explore this, the consciousness side of things and um, alternate realities. You might have people that, that, that create communes and never emerge because all they're doing all day is because... With other drugs, you'll be able to just stay in the dream state. A lot of the problems that people have with lucid dreaming is you can't keep it up. It kind of fades out, right? So if you can imagine that we have much more powerful ways of interacting with your neurology, like drugs, whatever, you can imagine first 
you're going to have a way of staying within lucid dreams. So once you get it, then you can stay in, which is going to be awesome because right now, five minutes, 10 minutes is already pushing it and then it kicks you out. If you can stay in there for hours, it's going to be so compelling. People are never going to want to come out. So you can imagine in entire communities of people that are just going to become like, like junkies, but instead of taking mind-altering drugs, they're just going to take drugs to fall asleep, stay asleep, enter lucid dreaming, stay in lucid dreaming, and potentially you can have the experiences of your lifetime there without worrying about the boring reality outside. So who knows what, where that will end. Yeah, yeah. And virtual reality when they're awake, just to, you know, just... <laughs> yeah, just to, yeah. to get through that boredom. So <laughs> Achilles and I are going to run the... What were you going to call it? Like a squatter space? Yeah, you're, you're heading that up. High-tech, neuro-hacking, uh, lucid dreaming squat space. So we can pre-sell <laughs> some of the tickets. <laughs> okay, so there, there's a utopia or dystopia, you know, maybe a bit further off. Um, what about the nearer future, Achilles, with regards to the actual research that's going on? Is there anything um, exciting, any breakthroughs you, you can, can see or, or perceive happening in the near future? Well, you know, with this explosion of like, or the starting of like sleep wearables and all of that, you know, they're changing the way we conduct sleep research. For example, my research is accelerating a lot with using ZMAX. I think that honestly, in five, 10 years, we might have the key to lucid dreaming, either through understanding how the sleeping brain processes stimuli and then being able to produce the exact right stimulus that is needed to make someone lucid or use some kind of stimulation, some kind of pharmacological solution to produce the brain activity required to make someone lucid. And I think we're getting close to that. I would say like, you know, you, you asked five, to 10 years, I think I truly believe that 10 years for sure will have an answer for that. And Kurtz, you know, proposed this as a dystopian future. It will come out positive or, you know, both of them, you know, like it's going to have a lot of questions. Um, is it okay to lucid dream all the time? Or, you know, will it make some people uh, want to stay in the dream all the time and just avoid reality? Or will it make people have positive experiences and that energize them and make them more positive and give them more strength in their waking life? So uh, who knows? It's fascinating. Is it, Once again, technology is pushing these ideas forward and then the ethical questions will will arise will come yeah. later <laughs> it's funny also how technology tends to separate people very starkly in, in, in depending on how they use it like today you can use a mobile phone to access the sum total of the knowledge that humanity has been piling away since time immemorial and then there are some people that just use it to kill fruits so I think it's going to be the same, but the more powerful yeah. and the, the more stark distinction is going to come out of this. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much, guys. We'll put lots of links on the website for people to learn more about Hypnodyne and ZMAX and your research as well, Achilles. I'll let you get on and maybe we'll, we'll, we'll pick this up in the future. There's lots more we can dive into about Lucid Dream, but thanks again. You're Thank welcome. You. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Pleasure. Pleasure. You've been listening to the Sleep Junkies podcast. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're interested in more conversations and discussions like this, don't forget to subscribe or check us out on social media. And we hope to see you on the next one.